welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one healthy page of Talmud every day. And in today's page, we receive a reminder from the rabbis that we should all really kind of know intuitively and inherently, but really, you can never be told too often. Here goes. Rav Chaviva said, in addition to the aforementioned pair of teachings, the elders of the town of Pumbedita stated this too. As Rav Yehuda said, that Shmuel said, one builds a fire for a woman in childbirth on Shabbat. In other words, you're allowed to light a fire on Shabbat to make a woman giving birth more comfortable. And I have the pleasure today of welcoming to the podcast, Dr. David Berman, Assistant Professor of Anesthesiology and Critical Care Medicine at Johns Hopkins University. Hello. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. My absolute pleasure, and I kind of wanted to ask you, I think this sentence in today's stuff is a really critical reminder, because I think a lot of us think that modern medicine has solved so many problems, and the kind of complications in birth, the sort of very dramatic, very traumatic births that you know sometimes were the, the plot points of, of 19th century novels, a lot of us, uh, I would say, I uh, would admit to my own ignorance, especially men, seem to think like, well, you know, birth is never a pleasant thing, but it's gotten completely safe and, and everything is totally fine. And I think in saying this, we should take a note from the rabbis on today's page and really kind of recall that that is not always the case, especially for some segments of the population. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting point you're bringing up. So my role is uh, I'm a specialist in obstetric anesthesia and critical care. And so I have sort of two hats on. One hat is the hat of doing epidurals for largely healthy people and helping them along the labor course of what you mentioned to be most people most of the time, which is healthy, uncomplicated deliveries, whether they be vaginal deliveries or C-sections. And my other hat is the critical care hat for when things go unfortunately terribly wrong. And they're rare, but those complications are particularly devastating and unfortunately tinged with a lot of inequality. Tell us more about that. What do you mean by that? Well, I think, unfortunately, there's been a, a large coalescing of a, a number of factors. The closure of rural health systems, the lack of Medicaid expansion, the lack of a functional safety net system in the country, uh, stigmatization of uh, birth control and women's health care in general, that has made the access to care, especially for prenatal care, particularly challenging for certain types of women. And by certain types of women, I mean women of low socioeconomic status and also women of color. And if we look around the country at the data on maternal mortality, the data is somewhat controversial in the sense that maternal mortality is defined differently, but it certainly seems that we are at least two, if not three times as high in mortality as we should be compared to other industrialized countries with our level of sophistication in other areas of culture. It seems as if most of those deaths are preventable, and a large portion of those happen in those with more limited resources. And the same is true for neonatal mortality, right? Yeah, it, it, a, similar, um, a similar trend applies for neonatal morbidity and mortality as well. Um, it seems like um, the majority of children who die of SIDS have certain risk factors. Um, SIDS is sudden infant death syndrome. And the uh, most commonly associated risk factors are maternal and lifestyle risk factors. 
So maternal smoking seems to increase your risk of SIDS by anywhere between four and 10 times as much. It seems like maternal substance abuse does a similar amount. And also limited socioeconomic status. Uh, pregnancy at a very young age is associated with neonatal deaths. And obviously these problems and these issues are complicated. And if they could easily be solved, uh, I'm confident that they would have already been solved. But this is certainly not a thing of the past. And so if we wanted to honor the wisdom of the rabbis on today's page and be much better about making sure that mothers everywhere, irrespective of their socioeconomic or racial backgrounds, are more comfortable and healthier and better served, what are some of the things that we collectively ought to start doing right now? Of course, if you know all the political budgetary considerations did not exist. Uh, I think the most important four-letter word I can give you is vote. That is certainly a really helpful thing to do these days. Obviously, bigger picture, I can tell you as a man who had a a pregnant wife in his life twice and now has two small children, the health and the comfort of a pregnant woman are paramount. And my suggestion is to decrease the barriers to care as much as possible. So my institution has started doing mobile prenatal care visits. This was unfortunately before the pandemic, and and a lot of this has been slowed down as a result. But we partnered with an organization that had an RV, and we did ultrasounds in prenatal care inside of a recreational vehicle that went around to lower-income neighborhoods in the Maryland area, specifically in immigrant communities and communities of color in Baltimore City. I think the best thing we can do is other things in our culture that increase the accessibility to basic human right type things. So the more likely we are to get people fair housing, the more likely we are to get people access to jobs and access to benefits in other ways, the more likely we are to get universal healthcare coverage of some kind, the more likely we are to have people actually accessing care. So that's one camp is actually getting to access care. And the other camp, which is something that my colleagues and I are definitely working on, is protocolized care. And so the American College of OBGYN has very clear paths in place. If a woman presents with high blood pressure in pregnancy, here are the things you should do because preeclampsia kills people. If a woman presents in hemorrhage, here are the top five things to do, and here are the people to call. And that sort of thing. Um, So we are certainly working on more protocolized-based care and on better assessing and triaging those types of conditions. But the problem is that that assumes a woman even shows up to care and is taken seriously at the point where she shows up. And that is a huge barrier for us. It's also difficult when, especially if you look at states like Mississippi, have lost a tremendous number of hospitals Women are sometimes driving three or four hours by car to give birth. And if you don't have access to a hospital that has women's healthcare services for three or four hours, you presume that, that the patient is not going to get good prenatal care, which is a hallmark for a good maternal outcome. And so I don't know that any one person can change this, but I think we can lobby and argue for an expansion of availability of care and for universal coverage of healthcare. Amen to that. Dr. Berman, thank you for everything that you do. And thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. 
If you enjoy this show, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafiomi. I'm your host, Leah Liebowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross, and our editor is Paul Ruest. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash take one or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon.